just please come back no matter what. And if this meeting doesn't speak to you, try a different meeting. Like just come back because I know for me early on, nothing felt right. Everything felt uncomfortable. Everything felt awkward. It just didn't feel good. And my sponsor didn't care about my feelings. It was about what are the actions that you're taking. So if you just show up and try this, you can always have your life back. No one's saying you you have to do this forever. Just try it and see what happens. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. And I'm Alice, an alcoholic in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Alice, how are you? I'm good. It's so good to see you. And we've got so much to talk about today. Oh, we do. I mean, we could actually do two or three episodes just on what we're going to chat about real quick here. And that's the 2022 membership survey of Alcoholics Anonymous. I bet you know about this thing, right? I do. I participated in the survey this year. Oh, now how did you do that? I got it by email from another member, somebody who is very active in general service. Gotcha. One of the things I was curious about as I was looking through the survey was how they sampled it. How did they get these people to question? Because it seemed like that if it were something that was just a a link that people go and visit a website, that it might be really self-selecting. People who are generally active in service and active in AA are the ones that are going to click on that link and take it rather than the people who are coming to the rooms. Um, And what I found perusing that methodology is that, no, they also went out to groups. Mm -hmm. So it it is a good representation of the membership. And there's some interesting information that came from it. Is there anything that stood out to you, Alice? The survey indicates that the profile of Alcoholics Anonymous has not changed that much. And and I really want to talk about what that means for us, like how that represents an opportunity. All right. Well, let's jump right in on one of those. So first of all, more than 6,000 AA members took part in the randomized membership survey, and it was conducted in 2022. The previous survey was in 2014. For the first time, the survey included topics regarding online AA meetings, which became more widely available during the COVID-19 pandemic shutdowns. Things included in the uh, the results on this webpage are 41% of AA members first came to AA more than 20 years ago. Yeah. What does that tell you? I mean, it tells me that people stay, and I really appreciate that. 41% of the people have two-plus decades is pretty amazing. It shows that Alcoholics Anonymous works. I'm one of those weirdos, right? I've got 36 years. Well, and now, but that's one of those nuances in the data, too. And it's not that they have two decades of sobriety. So the question, when did you first come to AA? And then they've got, when did you have your last drink? And 28% are more than 20 years. It's a rather, this is one that got me, Alice, is that we've got 23% with less than a year. And we've got 28% with more than 20 years. Then there's 20% one to five years, and then 13% five to 10 years, and 16% 10 to 20 years. And that's something I've heard other people talk about is the middle timers. Yeah. Where, where do they go? 
where do they go? You know, you'll hear people say, I came in, I was here for a while. Alcoholics Anonymous gave me a great life. And then I went out and had that great life. And I didn't keep doing the things that got me here. And I drank again. And the lucky folks come back. And they're able to say this practice of the steps isn't a one and done. And I think that explains the difference between the 23% and the 41%. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. Another number that was noted is members attend an average of two AA meetings per week. Yeah, I was surprised that it was so low. With the explosion of online meetings, a lot of the people that are in my active network are people that go to many more than two meetings a week. So I was surprised at how low that number was. And I think that's a good example of why it's important for us to have an objective third party conducting this type of stuff, because we do tend to surround ourselves with people who are like us. The bubble. Yeah. You know, Alcoholics Anonymous has consistently demographically been an older male white organization overwhelmingly that's that's not changed and i think it represents an opportunity that if you are in a meeting and you're in a city that's relatively diverse and the meeting that you're in isn't diverse that's an opportunity who's missing from your group and what if you indeed in fact are the hand of aa what is your responsibility to go and find people in your community that are not enjoying the solution that you now have? And I would add to that, it's also my responsibility that if I look around in the meetings I'm going to and I'm seeing mirrors of myself, yep. those various demographics, then maybe, just maybe, I ought to consider going to some other meetings that don't look like me. How about that? Yeah, it is the melting pot really of the world. And I think people call the book of Alcoholics Anonymous prophetic. The primary author, Bill W., really was a guy that understood this as life or death. And that it was really a profound spiritual thing to find the solution. And that doesn't belong to any one group of people. That belongs to everybody. And if I've gotten it, then I keep it by giving it away. And that might mean, like you said, Sam, going to meetings where people look different. Let me wrap up here with a couple things. So while overall there were no major changes in the membership characteristics since 2014, the results did show an increase in old timers, members with more than 20 years of continuous sobriety. In addition, 89% of survey takers indicated that they have a home group a meeting they attend regularly, indicating a strong connection with the fellowship among an overwhelming majority of members. The other thing that stood out for me was sponsorship. The number of people who sponsor and are sponsored. And those are the things that I think root us in Alcoholics Anonymous, having a home group, having a sponsor, sponsoring other people. So if people are in the, you know, within the sound of our voice and you're hearing this and you're wondering what this thing is, Alcoholics Anonymous, that we're excited about, it's not just going to meetings, right? Then you're attending AA. It's really about joining Alcoholics Anonymous. Get a home group, get a service commitment, get a sponsor, help somebody else find freedom. Really plug into it. Hey, folks, if you'd like to take a look at these survey results, you can go to AA.org and search for survey 
and it will show up in the results there. Or there's also a printed pamphlet of the results that will be available certainly at intergroups and central offices, but also some home groups probably will have it in their literature rack. Who knows? Okay, Sam, who's our guest today? Alice, today we'll get to know Debbie A. from Wilmington, North Carolina. She's the Area 51 secretary. I'll bet she knows stuff. Oh, yeah. She knows stuff, and she's taking names. This is an interview that you and Don did. He's not here now, and I'm not there then. (laughs) But I am. I'm here, there, and everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I heard that we're all here because we're not all there. (laughs) That's what I heard. You heard right. Folks, wherever we are, we need you to write or call in with questions for our new segment, A Newcomer Asks. We really need you, family, to help that new shy person by sending us questions that you asked as a newcomer or questions that you've been asked by a newcomer or a new term that I've gotten from a friend, a precomer. Someone who isn't yet not drinking but is still hanging around, just to be clear about what I mean. If you write, don't just send one question. Send in a few. Why don't you and your friends at coffee after a meeting come up with a list and send it to us at podcast at aagrapevine.org. We'd really appreciate it. Hey, Don, how can I support the Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even on our podcasts. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. Wait, what? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on Store or Subscribe in the new Grapevine app. I'm Debbie, and I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is June 19th, 1988. I live in Wilmington, North Carolina, and my home group is the Midtown Group. We meet on Mondays and Thursdays, and that's it. <laughs> I think that's plenty. <laughs> yeah. That's a plenty. Sounds like you're, I know that you're active in AA because you're the area secretary. That's right. And is that Area 51 out in Nevada? It's actually Area 51 is the state of North Carolina. So some states have multiple areas. I just happen to have one that's a very interesting title, Area 51, with those aliens. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, For people that don't know that Area Secretary is a service position at the area level, and I get to take all the minutes for the assemblies and then type them all up and send them out after the meeting. And it's a really great opportunity for me to kind of experience the assembly twice. So once while I'm there, and then again, when I'm going through all the notes and recording. So it's it's a really great service opportunity. Well, I like the way that you say you get to do that. <laughs> so I get to be of service. I was a DCM in my district in Wilmington. And when they had the elections, I was suggested by my service sponsor to stand for every service position. And I did not do that. I really wanted to be secretary. And that's the position I stood for. And then I was elected. I've never understood this thing of standing for everything and like taking a job, for example. I am uniquely 
unqualified to be treasurer. <laughs> why, why would I stand for treasurer? Yeah, I think it's just kind of between you and God and your service sponsor, what you mm. want to do. But um, being a servant, for me, getting involved in service outside of my home group was such an amazing opportunity. It, it I got to meet people that were super active in service. I got to learn about the traditions and how to apply them at my home group, at the district and at the area. And I find that being involved in service requires me to even do a lot more inventory in that 10th step than maybe I would have normally been doing. So I need all the steps and the concepts, which I'm still learning about those. Yes. So Debbie, how did you decide to go to AA and quit drinking? I actually came to AA um, as a suggestion from my probation officer, my treatment center counselor, uh, various law enforcement people. So it was it was highly suggested of me um, after getting a couple, I had three DUIs and I had tried AA for a brief stint and just really didn't think it applied to me. I just thought I was young. I was, you know, I was too young to be an alcoholic. Um, but I actually probably qualified from the uh, very first drink that I ever had. When I, st- I started drinking at 16, I was a blackout drinker from the very beginning. And for me, uh, what happened was I, I started to drink and it was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been looking for to take away the fear and the anxiety. And it just made me feel a part of life. It made me prettier. It made me funnier. It made you prettier, you funnier. Um, <laughs> I just loved it. But I had consequences from the very beginning. But I always blamed the outside circumstances for my problems. And getting through high school, I barely graduated. My goal after high school, other people were going to college or getting jobs, getting married. I wanted to go to Myrtle Beach for a week for vacation. That was my goal. And I did it. And, um, and I just wasn't successful at life. Um, I don't know. I tried different things. I eventually, after my second DUI, went to AA. I never got a sponsor. I never worked a step. I thought the steps were just something they read before the meeting. I wasn't thinking, I didn't think that actually was anything anyone did. They talked about God. They talked about things they were going to do outside the meetings. And I just felt sorry for them. I thought, oh my God, you people are just, you know, I just thought being, a member of AA was like the worst possible thing that could happen to anyone. But, you know, my, my uh, driving record, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> you know, wasn't anything to brag about. So anyways, I, I decided my problem was not going to college after high school. That's why I was struggling with life. So I moved from Dayton, Ohio to Cincinnati, Ohio to go to college. And once again, wherever I go, there I am. I took me with me and eventually found people that drank like I did. And I was barely making it through school. I had like a 1.2 grade average. And by the end of my first year of college, nothing had changed. I hadn't, um, it hadn't solved all my problems. And I was still drinking like a fish. I was at the bar drinking and getting drunk when other kids were studying for midterms and finals. And, you know, it was, it was again, doing things I didn't want to do with people I didn't know why I was with and in places I didn't know how I got there, but I always blamed something else. It was always something on the outside that was the problem. It never occurred to me that to not drink my life would get better. I had not drank for five months and my life did get better, but on the inside, I felt like my nerve endings were on the outside of my body. And like, I just couldn't imagine feeling like that the rest of my life. So I got my third DUI, went to treatment, and again, they talked about AA. And so 
we were required to get our paper signed and to go to meetings. And I didn't realize I could have just wrote anybody's name and they weren't auditing. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no. You don't, don't spread that secret. <laughs> <laughs> so my laziness of going to not wanting to go to meetings, I ended up going to a place called Oak Street and it's in Cincinnati, Ohio, and they had meetings noon, 530, eight o'clock at night. They There was just always people there um, hanging out, talking about sobriety and taking meetings into institutions and other places. And by going there, I met the person who became my sponsor. And it wasn't that, oh, this is the way of life I'm looking for. It was, I wanted to look good for the judge. You know, I wanted to get the heat off. Yeah. And, and you know, so I think I got a sponsor at about two months sober. I don't recommend it. I don't know what was keeping me sober except for the fear of the DUIs, the weird places, the weird situations I would end up in, the blackouts. I thought everybody blacked out. I didn't realize that that was not normal. But um, coming to meetings and reading the big book and hearing people talk about um, how they stayed sober and how things were getting better for them, you know, it's still, I really didn't want what you had but I didn't want what I had anymore. And I was finally kind of willing to, to do something different. And I'm so grateful that someone was willing to sponsor me. And that person was one of those big book thumpers that you may hear about in meetings. And, it, and she started taking me through the steps with the big book. And by the time I went to court um, and when I probably should have gone to jail or prison, I didn't have to go to jail, but I was at my home group that night and I was, going into jails and prisons. I've been going into jails and prisons for over 30 years. And I really believe that that keeps me out of jail and, and reinforces my recovery. Wow. Yeah. It sounds like that you really didn't do anything except for stay sober at the very beginning. I went to a lot of meetings. And then getting a sponsor was what led you into what recovery really is. Yeah, I wasn't really getting it by osmosis. I was just taking up a seat in a meeting. And like I said, I was going to my treatment center. I went to outpatient. So I go three nights a week. That counted kind of as a meeting in a way. But going to the big book meeting, they were reading out of the big book and they were sharing things that I wouldn't have told anyone. Oh, yeah. And they were laughing. But when I got a sponsor, that person wanted me to go to a meeting every day. They wanted me to call her every day. They wanted me to read something out of the big book every day. They wanted me to hit my knees and ask something I didn't believe in for help. And, and at night, thank that entity, whatever it was that I didn't believe in to keep me sober and to thank them for keeping me sober for a day. And I believe that the people around me were sober and they were happy. I just didn't know if it would work for me. Did you resist that? All those expectations from your sponsor? No, I didn't know you could like not do those things. I'm a people pleaser, still am. And <laughs> I wanted to be the perfect, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. And, you know, in the back of my mind or to my other little friends around me that were sober as long as I was, yeah, I would say, oh, that sponsor is crazy. They want me to do all <laughs> this. And she, like the very first night, she took me to another meeting. I thought that's a little excessive. We just came from a meeting. You want to go to another one? And <laughs> but you just... thought that you didn't say it. Exactly. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm a people pleaser too. And I just love how, you know, sometimes when we come in here, our character defects really do work well at taking care of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So the, my people pleasing it kept me around long enough to, to work the steps and to, to do those steps with the sponsor. And I think I did my first, fourth and fifth step 
it was New Year's Day. So I was about six or seven months sober. And um, it was the first time that I had told one person all the kind of bits and pieces. Other people around me knew little things, but not no one knew the whole story. And since I had a lot of blackouts, I had a whole section in my inventory for like the headless horseman, we called him. But it's just situations or things that happened in a blackout, you know, that I, I knew something happened, but, you know. I, I, it was the first time I, you know, told one person all that stuff and that yeah. releasing that shame and the guilt and the fear and all those, all the yucky stuff. It, it was, it was amazing. After doing your fifth step uh, in, in the book, it tells us to go to a quiet space and reflect for an hour. What was that like for you? I did that. I actually, I can remember my, I lived in Clifton in this third floor of a house. And I remember this low ceiling and I went and I got my book off the bookshelf and I sat there and I just was quiet for an hour. And I really started to feel like I was a part of this thing. And early on, I had felt like it was a cult, like I was being brainwashed and my brain needed washing. You know, <laughs> What I was doing wasn't working, but, but actually taking these actions and these steps and hearing, you know, uh, and, and when I shared my fifth step, my sponsor shared things about that she had done with me. So it was like I felt a part of life. I felt like I it, it's actually when I really felt the third step was after doing the fifth step. And when I got quiet, I felt like it was OK that, that I could turn my life over to God, that God was it was a safe thing to happen. It wasn't so much fear keeping me sober. We're using a lot of steps here. The third step is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. The fourth step is, of course, making a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And the fifth step is sharing that with another person. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another person the exact nature of our wrongs. Debbie, what's the most surprising thing that AA has asked you to do? Oh my God. Every, pretty much everything that's been asked of me has been surprising. Everything that I've been asked to do or suggested to do, I could not understand how this was going to help me. Mm -hmm. I went mm -hmm. from totally having that lack of faith, that agnosticism, like it's going to work for you, but it's not going to work for me. And how is um, going to a meeting today when I have all this stuff I have to do or think about how is that going to help my life get better? How is writing the inventory and sharing it with the sponsor going to help that resentment? Like, I can't possibly see how anything's going to change. So I guess the whole process that we go through, through the 12 steps and then being of service and carrying that on to other alcoholics, like I thought sponsoring other women was another really bad idea. And I didn't see how that was going to help me. And so pretty much I'm surprised by everything. <laughs> I think that AA really is odd that way. I had the same experience and feeling like I'm blindly moving forward, but I don't want to drink. And I was absolutely confident that the people who were helping me, my sponsor and other friend group that were helping me, that they were absolutely knew how to stay sober and I didn't. So I'll do it. But this doesn't make sense. And I think too, my perception of things, because my instincts, I trust them more today than I did, but the way I view life, I don't know if that's changed so much because I'll have the wrong perception or the wrong, I'll get the wrong idea about something when I find out that it's just my filter, my lenses that I'm looking through. 
And when I do the inventory and see how it's affecting the different areas, I can see, oh my gosh, my ambitions are being affected or my self-esteem, like all these things are how I view the world. And, you know, I'm just, I need help. I need a higher power. I need sponsor. I need sponsees. I need all those things to help me navigate through life. And looking at those things, sometimes I'm still blind to it, even when I'm, I'm going through that exercise. And that's why sharing it with someone else, and that could be a, uh, a sober friend in recovery. It can be the sponsor. And yet we've got these trusted friends uh, in my circle that, that I do that with as well. They see the things that I don't see, like Don's bald spot. <laughs> it, it runs yeah. all through recovery. I mean, it's continuous that I I can't see everything about myself and I need help. And that's why I continue to go to meetings. And the people I sponsor really help me because they're sharing their journey with me and it helps keep me motivated. I've been working on a 10 step inventory. I've been kind of working on it a little bit at a time. You know how it takes you like three months and one hour to write something and two of my sponsees were sharing their 10 steps with me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they're getting the relief. I know I'm going to get relief. Why don't I just do it? So, yeah. So I got to ask, why, why don't you just do it? I did. And I oh. already shared it. So <laughs> you caught me on a good day. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't call me yesterday. No. <laughs> You know, I heard something that just has really stuck with me because fear is, it's a part of being human, but being driven by it is what causes problems for me. And this thing, fear is a mile high and a mile wide and paper thin. All I got to do is step through it and we're done. I love that. That's been my experience. If, if I continue to go forward, trust in my higher power, I'm going to be able to get through it. And as long as I'm frozen in fear or inaction or whatever, but if I'm just still going to meetings, talking to people, I can't do this alone. That's the other thing. I want to go it alone. And, yeah. and when I just am willing to step off, then the, the road fall, falls open at my feet or under my feet. And, and I have the, the way forward. I got to share this with you real quick. So this photo, there's a photo of a grassy field with steps going up through the grass like paving stones. And it's going up into clouds. So that's Lantau Peak in Hong Kong. That was such a magical experience for me because I was really out of shape and I decided I was going to go walk up this thing because I saw other people doing it. I'm walking up these steps and I have to pause and stop and catch my breath. And if I had seen the top, I never would have started, but I couldn't see the top. So I just kept doing what's in front of me, which was those few steps. And I got to the top of Lantau Peak. Oh, one step at a time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Debbie, what does a week look like in your recovery today? Going to my home group, getting there early. I still like to get to my home group early. I always say you never have to be alone in AA unless it's like an hour before your home group starts and no <laughs> one's there. So you get and there then, an hour before? Uh, usually 30 minutes. 30 minutes. Or 45 if I'm helping to set up and then being of service at the meeting if I can. And then phone calls with sponsees throughout the weeks, a phone call with my sponsor, and then I try to do meditation every day. I do a 
guided meditation at work. We do it every day at 1230. And then, you know, in between, I'll do my readings and, and prayer and that kind of thing. But I work full time. And then I have a mother who's in a in a nursing home. So I have to make visits to see her and just trying to be of service and answering the phone when it rings. And even though I think it's a spam call, I still pick it up just because you never know. Um, who's <laughs> Literally call. today, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So just trying to be of service. I'm married. We have a 22 year old son. So that's always interesting and spending time with him when he'll let us and then trying to spend time with my husband too. He was actually out in the yards laying down stepping stones. You were talking about the stones and everything. He bought stepping stones for our yard. So he's laying those out in the front yard. Did he buy 12? I think he got 15. So <laughs> we, we need more steps than that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Debbie, thanks for talking with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, folks. We need your stories on the individual traditions. Pick one and write about your or your group's experience with it. How has a tradition played a part in your life? How has your understanding of a tradition changed? What is a personal experience where a tradition played a part? Visit aagrapevine.org for guidelines and to submit. I'm at the very wit's end! Cuckoo! Aboard a train, a suffering alcoholic was about to uncork a jug. Hey, lady, can I offer you a little snort? When a proper lady seated next to him remarked, my good man, I'm 76 years old, and I've never taken a drink of liquor in my entire life. Huh. That's fine. You're probably not going to start now. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Search AA Grapevine in the App Store on your phone or find AA Grapevine on Instagram and YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, search online for Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. That was freaking amazing. <laughs> Hey, Don, thanks again for having me on your podcast. And my husband did confirm for me that they there were 12 steps that he laid out in our front yard today. So I just thought that was funny. All right. Have a great day. Bye.